I am so excited to be able to continue in our Relationship Toolbox series that we've been going through. We're in the sixth week of it where we've been looking at different tools and uh, how they apply to different relationships. I had a tool picked out for this week, but based on the fact that your Eagles are in the Super Bowl, I I thought I'd go with a little bit of a different tool that almost all of your fans, especially if they were at the game, are going to use. Not offensive language. That's... You laugh and go, ah, you know I'm right. You've been to those games. Um, you seen these? Come on, what, what does this stand for? Defense, right? And then we have our chance where we continue to go and we want them. You know, this is a tool that our fans will use or your fans will use when they want their defense to step up their game, when they want them to stop the offense. And I will tell you that uh, they, they, they did this well this year. I can say that as a Giants fan, that you strategically annihilated our team three times this year. Three times you just had our quarterback on his back most of the game. And as a matter of fact, your team is the only team in the last, or the the first team in 35 years to keep in the playoffs two opposing teams at less than 110 yards passing. That's some impressive defense for your team. Would you agree? Right? That's impressive. Seriously. Your team, and I can, again, say this with confidence, that they have surgically annihilated teams. They have planned. They have prepped. It hurts to say it, though, but it's true. From the very beginning, they've been so good at what they've done. But my question is, what if tonight, when we started cheering for defense, going into the game, a switch was made. And everybody that was on offense now had to play defense. And everybody that was normally on your defense had to play offense. How do you think your game would go tonight? It'd be a mess, wouldn't it? I heard that. It'd be a mess. This would not be good, right? Now, they're all part of the Philadelphia Eagles team, but they're all responsible for different areas of that team. They've got boundaries, or for today, they've got fences, all right? See, this was a hard one to get in with the message. I had to figure out a way to get the eagles with it. So, but they've got some boundaries. These fences that we set up or that they have set up, they basically help them understand what they're responsible for, who they're responsible to. And when it comes to the relationships that we have in our life, we have to have some boundaries and fences. We really do. We have to understand that, that we are responsible for some stuff and not responsible for other things. And this idea of boundaries, it's one of the most, I think, difficult and nuanced ideas because our culture tells us one thing and the church tells us very mixed signals about what this is, right? If, if our, we were sitting in our culture and we said, do you have boundaries? We tell people, you should have you know, self-care. You should have... Um, a day at the spa, or go take your golf weekend. Really, what we're saying is you need a day off. Take your day off. That's what our culture says. But the church, the message on boundaries, I'll be honest, these fences, these boundaries, it's mixed because, um, do you ever feel like the preacher tells you one thing one week and then the opposite thing the next week? I have felt like I've done that in this series when we talk about relationships because in, in Scripture, we can make an argument where it says, you know, we should have, like Jesus, these different circles of friends and prioritize so that we're, you know, spending the right amount of time with people. And then on the flip side, I say the number one question that you can ask is the question that Jesus asked, and that's, what can I do to help? 
Those are like back-to-back messages. So which is it? Do I serve people constantly when they need it? Or do I start to set boundaries? And it's like, does anybody else feel this tension in the Bible besides me all the time? Like, is, is it black or is it white? Is it A, a or B? Like, what is this? Just so you know, you're not alone. We all feel this. If you read scripture, I want to tell you that the Bible doesn't contradict itself in this way. It's just simply, to me, another example of how most of our life is a tension that we manage, not a problem that we solve. That's what most of our life looks like. Boundaries are going to help us because there's different seasons when we may need to serve more or we may need to set up different boundaries and limits with our friends, our family, our coworkers. How do you know? Well, that's what boundaries are for. And I want to state up front, boundaries, these are not evil. Boundaries are not evil, and they are not unloving. But we don't have a really good idea about how boundaries look because usually they're to push someone away, right? The better way to kind of think about boundaries or fences is um, maybe think of it like, like states or countries, we, they all have lines that kind of delineate who's who and, and who's responsible for what. Over the last decade, in our country specifically, we've talked a lot about our borders, haven't we? Right, and whether you're for a wall, against a wall, it's brought up the idea that, listen, we can't have them Canadians coming down. <laughs> right? They're going to apologize for everything. Now, um, right, we have a border that separates us from the north. And from Mexico in the south, and we say, well, we understand there is a border. Why do we have that border? Because we want to be responsible for what's happening in our country. That's why we have a border. When borders are crossed, we get frustrated. Just about a year ago, when Russia invaded Ukraine and started this war that's toxic and destructive and completely eliminating life that God has created, we... We're frustrated. Why? Because a border was crossed. A boundary was overstepped. And now, it, like, is there a boundary? And they're like, oh, that's the line for Ukraine. I'm in. We, we don't see those. Unless you're playing risk, there's no dots on the ground. There's no strip that's down there to say you've crossed it. It's invisible. But we knew there was a boundary there. Do you know what I'm saying? Boundaries are very, very important. And the, and the purpose of them is to establish very clear lines of who's responsible for what. We understand this on a state level, on a national level, on a worldwide level, and we have to understand that boundaries are not, they are not unloving and they're not unbiblical. They just aren't. Instead, these are tools to protect you and protect the people that you love. Personal boundaries... They, they're what define your identity. Let me say that again for you. Personal boundaries are what define your identity. They're what make you who you are. Just imagine that you're your own state for a second. Personal boundaries set up what you need to do to keep that state running well. What are you responsible for? And I will tell you this, the more self-aware you become, or at Crossbridge we talk about emotional health and taking steps towards Jesus, being formed in his image. The more you step towards Jesus and become more self-aware of who you are, I'll tell you, the better your boundaries are going to be. The better your boundaries will be, and you'll learn what you're capable of, and even better yet, what you're not capable of, what you cannot do. And I think that when we set up Christ-like boundaries... In our life, instead of feeling limited by what, like, oh, I should be able to do everything, we're actually going to feel this greater capacity to love like Jesus. When we set up Christ-like boundaries, 
we will be able to love more like Jesus and offer people real love, real empathy. But we have to set up Christ-like boundaries. Christ-like boundaries are the key. And one of the biggest lies that you may have to face when you're going through this idea of how do I do this in my life, how can I set up this fence, is if I say no, I'm being selfish. How many of you have ever thought this before besides me? If I say no, I'm being selfish. I'm not allowed to say that. Then I need to tell you that that is a lie from the enemy. It is a lie from the enemy because Jesus himself said no and he had boundaries. Did you know that Jesus himself said no to things and he had boundaries? He would regular take, regularly take time away from people when he was asked to be around things and, and we need you here. And he's like, nah, I gotta, I gotta go. I don't need to be here. This is wrong. He, he never felt the need to explain all the time about why he said no. He just did it. He did not live up to everybody's expectations around him. And that was hard. Um, we've talked a little bit about how that looks. But even in that, right, if, if, if you're going to set up boundaries to say, I can say yes to everything, I will tell you, you cannot please everyone. You will never meet everyone's expectations at every time. And you're never going to be popular with everybody. It's just not doable. And what boundaries allow us to do, and Christ-like boundaries, I'll tell you up front as we're walking into this, that they are going to disappoint people around you. They're going to disappoint people around you, but in the long run, you'll find respect from those who are frustrated. Um, this means you're going to have to get used to saying the word now, okay? <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't like that word. No, no. Let's just practice saying the word no, okay? We need to do this. I'm, I'm going to count to three, and we're going to say the word no together, okay? Yeah. All right. Yeah. No. Good. You're, you're learning already. I feel like I'm an effective communicator today. Um, on the count of three, let's just practice the word no real quick. One, two, three. Oh, see, you say this stronger than we've said any word when we've done this before. You know this word, don't you? Right? This is a great word. Um, and it's what I love about the word no is Anne Lamont says this. Uh, she's a great author. And she says, no is a complete sentence. Isn't that great? No is a complete sentence. If we're going to set up these boundaries, if we're going to live and love like Jesus, we're going to need how to, we're going to need to learn how to give a slow yes and a quick no. A slow yes and a quick no, because our relationships suffer when we say yes too quickly to too many things, and we become responsible for things that we were never meant to be responsible for. I'd like to look at how Jesus navigates the tension of this boundaries and what do I do with my life, and yet serving and loving the people around me. How can I do that? And in the biography of Jesus, in that second chapter that Bincy had read for us, uh, from Jesus' best friend, John. When John writes this story, he includes things that aren't included in any of the other biographies of Jesus. No one else writes about some of these, thing, these things. And I got to tell you, when this um, chapter kicks off in, in John chapter 2, it's actually in a moment of crisis where Jesus is at a wedding and crisis breaks out at the wedding. It's very early in his ministry career. And in verse 3, it tells us, here's the crisis. The wine supply ran out. You're like, that's crisis already. I feel it, right? The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Now, this is a problem. No wine. But it's 
not Jesus' wedding. It's not Mary's wedding. But for some reason, Mary is telling Jesus about the issue. So how does Jesus respond to his mom? Verse 4, dear woman, that's not our problem. He says, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time is not yet come. Now, Jesus is 100% correct here, isn't he? The lack of wine is not his problem, and it's not his mom's problem. That's fair. We can say that, right? It's not their problem. But Jesus knew what his mom was asking him, even though she never asked him to do anything. I think all moms have this superpower where they can say something, and you know they're asking, but they never ask. It's just expected. Jesus does not say here that he can't do it. But it, the timing is not right here. The timing's not right. And without getting into a ton of details in this passage, because I want to make sure we move through it, um, he, here's the bottom line of why it's so important, is that um, running out of wine, it's like they can't just run over to buy, right, or whatever, and be like, oh, we'll just get another case of whatever. That, that's just not the way it works. And if you ran out of wine at a wedding, it was a huge faux pas and shame on your family. And it was going to cost you. You would be labeled for the rest of your life in that community. And it was seen as a curse on that couple, like it was setting them up to fail. And so what Jesus does is without anyone knowing but the servants at the wedding, is he demonstrates love. He demonstrates empathy for this family by turning the water into wine. And right from here in this moment, Jesus turns and he heads to Jerusalem because a major festival is happening in Jerusalem. And the city itself swells to multiple times its size when they celebrate Passover. And so Jesus is going down with all of these pilgrims to celebrate Passover together. And he heads to the temple where it's, it's time to worship God and celebrate the most amazing story in Israel's history. And as he gets there, he realizes that this main area of worship now has people set up, merchants set up, and they're taking advantage of all the pilgrims. They're selling things that the pilgrims need to use to celebrate, but they're selling them at massively inflated prices because they know we can make money when they come. And so they begin to make money inside the temple. Jesus does not have a problem with people making money. He never does what he's about to do outside the temple. He's got a problem with what's happening inside the temple and how unloving and how deceitful it is. And so this, this infuriates him. You see, Jesus had this intimate relationship with God that he prioritized. He retreated to be with God at all times, to pray to him, to seek out what he wanted. His entire identity was grounded in the Father. So when his Father's house is being disrespected and it's being taken advantage of, this was now crossing the boundaries that he had set up. You have crossed over into my country, and this is wrong. You've done something very, very uh, not appropriate. And so this is when he begins to flip tables. This is when he begins to drive out animals. And the leaders of the temple, uh, they're ticked. I mean, they are ticked off. And so they start getting in his face about it. And they're like, who do you think you are? And if you think you're all that, why don't you start doing miracles then? They, they want the temple now to be a place where money is going to be generated somehow, some way. But he doesn't do any miracles at this moment. He does not give them the satisfaction of saying, you expect this from me? I have nothing to prove to you, is what he says, instead of, okay, fine, here, let me demonstrate how good I am. He doesn't. He does not. 
But because he stood up to the teachers, people began to go, who is this guy? Why did he do that? Why did he treat the temple so much different than I do? I'm going to follow him. I'm going I'm to follow with him. And then we begin to see that he does do, do miracles. And in that passage that Bincy had read for us earlier, we find in verse 23... It says, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust him. He had shown himself as trustworthy by not taking the bait from the leaders, but again, standing up for what, what he believed was right in God's eyes. And now it's, it's easy to see he's clearly this influential public figure, right? He's got people who are going to continue to follow him. Who doesn't want to see miracles and, and be healed? But verse 24 and verse 25 tell us something about Jesus that we rarely ever talk about. It says, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. Let me read that again because it's huge huge. It's that no one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. This is the reason he did not trust them. He did not trust them. We talk about how God loves people and Jesus loves people, which is absolutely true, but we rarely ever talk about that Jesus didn't trust people. Have you ever heard that one? It's a weird thing, right? It's like, wait, but he's Jesus. He doesn't trust people. And the lack of trust is because he says, I know what's common to everybody, and it's their heart. I know their heart. And I'll say, even to this day, the heart issue that we carry has not changed. God tells us about the human heart through the prophet Isaiah. When he speaks through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 17 in the Old Testament, in verse 9, this is what God says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? If we're really being honest with ourselves today, we know that this is way more true than we want to give it credit for. Jesus knew this about all the people who followed him, so he set up these healthy boundaries, these fences to protect himself and his capacity to love. He, he gathered them in and was cool with them following, but he knew this wasn't going to last forever because you can only follow someone so long until they're going to disappoint you. Free meals, good stories, signs, miracles, right? These are all good things, but... There's times he paused, he's like, I need rest. And like, but we need you. And he's like, no. And he rested. He needed time to eat. He needed time alone. He needed time with his disciples. But he knew people wouldn't give him that. They wanted from him all the time. And something happens, actually, if you have your Bibles when you're in chapter 2. From chapter 2 into 3, 4, and 5, it's this, like, people continue to follow Jesus. They're, they're enamored with him. And when you get into chapter 6, there's just tons and tons of people following him, thousands everywhere that he goes. And in chapter 6, something happens. In verse 66 and 67, it says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, you going to leave? What Jesus had done right before this is said, I don't want you just to hear my teaching, but what are you going to do about this? It got hard for them. He asked something of them at this point. And they were like, nope. And we see that they all turn away. So many of them ditch Jesus. Now, come on. We, we, you see this online all the time with me. If someone has a massive following, they, they go viral for something. What do they want to do again? 
They want to go viral. They're going to make another video to build themselves up. They need to capture attention again somehow with some stunt, some way, some picture. And what Jesus does is he says something and now he loses all his followers. Does he then go and say, I need to do another miracle? If his identity was weak, if he did not have boundaries and it was completely built on the people around him, yes, he would. But that's not what he does. Instead, he turns to his boys and he's like, Yen? Like, what's your deal? What are you going to do about this? He did not solve the problem for them, did he? He didn't take responsibility and say, let me tell you why I did that. I just want to make sure that, you know, some guy's going to preach about it in 2,000 years. You know, he, he doesn't tell them any of that. He just simply says, I'm like, what are you going to do? He leaves the responsibility of following him on their shoulders. It's not his call. He knew what he was called to do. If you have time to read about Jesus in all of his biographies, let me tell you, you will see boundaries set up all over the place with how he treats people, how he guards himself and his time with God. He is so comfortable with what he's responsible for and who he's responsible to. And if we are truly going to follow Jesus and, and really try to love like he loves, to have empathy for those who are around us, we are going to have to establish boundaries in our life because if we don't set our own boundaries, other people will set them for us. If you don't set your own boundaries, your spouse will set them for you, your kids will set them for you, your boss will set them for you. This is on you. You have to do this. And so to leave you with a couple steps today, just three simple ones, how can you begin to establish Christ-like boundaries? I'm not going to tell you what your boundary has to be, and here's why. Um, I don't know. Yours are going to be different than mine. You live a different life than I do. I don't have to tell you what your boundaries are, but I can help you figure out how to discover what they are. These are going to help when you could... Um, They're going to be hard, but here's the first thing that I would suggest you do in setting boundaries. Your first step, protect your time with God. Just protect it. Um, because we've talked about this in almost every one of our messages through this series, I'm not going to camp here long, but Jesus made this his number one priority over and over and over. He said no to a lot of things so he could say yes to God all the time. And no matter how much I teach this, no matter how much I say this, I will tell you up front, this is hard for me, especially when my life gets busy and I say yes to things I shouldn't. Um, my time with God is the first thing that I eliminate. It just is. I would love to say, oh no, I wake up in that morning and I'm so excited to be with God. No, I was up late and I don't, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'll, I'll get to that later. And it's the first thing to go. I just... Kind of wonder, like, tonight we'll be up. How late? Celebrating or morning? Either way, tomorrow's going to come. Where's your time with Jesus carved out there? How do you prioritize that? Because here's the truth. If your boss, your partner, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, um, one of your best friends, you had a meeting in the morning for breakfast together, You'd wake up for it, wouldn't you? I would. I wouldn't miss that meeting for breakfast, but I'll easily skip my time with God. If you want to learn how to set good boundaries, the first thing you protect is your time with God. This is your first step. Um, the second step that I would give you in setting boundaries and that I would suggest is to be honest and be direct. Be honest. 
be direct. Jesus demonstrates this all the time. You saw it in this passage. Um, you remember his clarifying questions with the disciples? Most of the time that he is asked questions, he follows up with a question. He's trying to figure out, what, why are you asking me this? What are you looking for from me? Sometimes he said yes to those things. Sometimes he said no to those things, but he never pressured people. He never pressured people into things. He never forced them to do things. He never tried to, to get them and coerce them into something. He was always just very honest about where he was standing. He was very direct about what he needed. Uh, show of hands, how many of you have ever said yes to something when you just did it because you wanted to avoid conflict or friction? You've given the, the yeah, okay, good, all of us. If your hands are not up, you lie. You lie because there's something in us as humans that want to be with people and not to disappoint people. And so we give yeses when we don't mean them. Sometimes we're too scared or we're too nervous to turn down that invitation from someone who, who means something in our life or who has authority with us because we're afraid of disappointing them. What, what, if, they, what if they don't like me after this? And instead of being honest and direct, we give like ambiguous answers. Parents, we do this with our kids all the time. Instead of saying no, straight up when they ask for something that we know we're going to say no to, we say, we'll see. <laughs> you giggle. You've done this too. We'll see. Can, can, we, can we go out and get ice cream? Oh, we'll see. Ask me, ask me a little later. And then, then we have the audacity to get pissed at them later when they say, well, well, can we get ice cream? And you're like, I told you we'll see. Why are we mad? They're doing what we asked. We're mad because we didn't have the guts to say no. And now they're showing us that a second time. Do you know how many fights would be much smaller on the upfront side? I know it's exhausting if we just said no. But we don't have the courage because we don't have a boundary. We're scared to disappoint our kids. But if we did in that moment, we wouldn't have the second blow up. Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 5, here are his words from the Sermon on the Mount. He says, just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Let our yes be yes, our no be no. We just need to be clear and direct. This will be tough for us and, and tougher for those around us. There's a great story from uh, 2013 at Stanford Law School where a man named Clayton Christensen, he's a business professor and uh, a man who the economist named as the number one most influential thinker when it came to the economy and, and different principles. It was unbelievable what he did. He was working at a management firm and he was a consultant at the time. And one of the partners of the firm came to him and said, hey, we need you to come in on Saturday and we need you to help on work, work on a project, very um, you know, office space-wise. And we're gonna need you Saturday. And, and so Clay just simply responds and he tells this story to his uh, class, and he says, uh, I had to tell them, I'm sorry. I have a commitment that every Saturday is the day to be with my wife and her children. And so the partner of the firm, very frustrated, he storms off. He comes back a little bit later in the day, and he says, Clay, fine, fine. I've talked with everybody on the team, and they said that they're going to come in on Sunday instead. So I expect to see you there. Clay just sighed, and, and he said, I, I appreciate you trying to do that, but Sunday won't work for me. I've given Sunday to God, and so I won't be able to come in. If the partner was frustrated before, now he's livid. He's fuming. What's funny is Clay wasn't fired for standing his ground in that moment. And while his choice was not popular, 
in that moment, ultimately down the road, he became one of the most respected men for those boundaries. His boundaries paid off. And, and what Clay says, and he recalls is this, he says, that moment, that taught me an important lesson. If I made an exception then, I may have made, it may have made it many times. Boundaries are like the little walls of a sandcastle. And the second that the first one falls over, it's amazing how the rest of them just come crashing down, isn't it? Some of our relationships suffer because we've said yes too quickly to too many things that we were never supposed to be responsible for. There are times, yes, we give a yes to things that are extra, and that is valuable and important. But when it's all the time, that's no longer extra. That's normal. This is something, I'm going to say it as candid as I can. I believe some of us, some of you, you need to repent of, repent being, say, I was wrong. And repentance isn't just saying it, but it is turning around saying things are going to look different. And you will not be popular. You'll tick people off. Just tell them my pastor said do it. Because Jesus said do it. You've said yes to the wrong things. And it doesn't mean that we... We need to like be mean about our boundaries and, and be like, you know, hurtful to people. We just need to be honest. If you're in a relationship and, and you want to make this work, you get into arguments with each other. There should be ground rules and boundaries in your arguments. If you get into an argument with, with your spouse and you find that like all of a sudden they begin every time you get into a tiff, they're cursing at you more and more. And you're like, this isn't normal. But when we fight, you like... You belittle me. You devalue me. You are 100% allowed to say to them, I'm not going to talk to you until you treat me like a human because I feel devalued when you curse at me. I deserve better than that. The conflict needs to be resolved, but I will not be treated that way. You're created in the image of God, and that's a boundary. You can set that up with people. You don't get to talk to me that way. Not because you're better than them, but because you're created in the image of God and you deserve to be treated well. Someone's blowing you up on the phone, feel free to hang up. You deserve to be treated. If they call you up even louder, fine. Just because someone texts you something doesn't mean you have to text back. Have your boundaries set up. But you're allowed to state them because you need them. It's okay to do this, but be honest with it. And remember that if you set something up and you're like, I don't like being cursed at, and they're like, yeah, well, I don't like when you go silent and walk away all the time. Goes both ways. We need to listen to each other. Be honest, be direct. Um, final step is this, and I'll leave you with this one, is to clarify what you're responsible for. Jesus asks that of the disciples. What are you guys going to do? What are you going to do? It's not your job to solve everyone else's problems. And let's be honest, the reason that that's not your job is because you've got your fair share of yourself, right? You've got enough problems of your own that try to, trying to solve everyone else's is just too hard. You're not supposed to. Jesus does this all the time where he points people like, the solution seems so obvious, and yet he continues to clarify. What, what do you want from me here? When he approaches two men on the road, uh, when he's coming out of Jericho, in Matthew chapter 20, he says, two blind men, he says, what do you want me to do for you? Or in John 5, he comes across a man who's been unable to walk for 38 years, and he says, do you want to get well? Come on, Jesus, these are like obvious, aren't they? These are so easy. But he's making sure, do you actually want what I have to offer here? Too often we don't ask the question, we try to solve our problems and, or solve other people's problems. Uh, in the book Boundaries by Henry Cloud, he shares a story of a, a, two parents of a 25-year-old who came to see him. 
And they came to see him and said, listen, we need to talk about our 25-year-old son. He's got a problem. And the, Henry Cloud just said, okay, where's your son? They're like, well, he's at home, and that's the problem. That's the problem. He doesn't think he has a problem. But, but he does. He doesn't do anything. And, and they start going through all their stuff. And after listening to him, Dr. Cloud turns to them and he says, well, I think your son is right. He doesn't have a problem. What? You have a problem. You, you do. You pay. You fret. You worry. You plan. You exert all the energy to keep him going. He doesn't have a problem because you've taken it from him. Clarifying what we're responsible for is going to help us determine what we're not responsible for. It's not our job to fix everything for the people around us. They can fail, just like you and I do. With healthy boundaries, this gives us the ability to have empathy, to truly love people when we're called on. I'm really glad tonight. Well, I don't know if I'm glad or not. If your kicker had to be your quarterback... They'd be responsible for the wrong things, but you have a shot as a great team tonight because they know what they're responsible for, who they're responsible to, and who they report to, and they will say no, even though they all know where they're going to the things that they don't need to worry about, that someone else's, I'm going to let it go. I believe that some of us today need to repent of taking things from people we shouldn't have and then feeling overwhelmed ourselves like, but my problems, what about me? You don't have the time to because you're so concerned. It's okay to have healthy boundaries. Jesus pointed people towards this. So even today, I pray that God would allow you to have healthy boundaries. And the expectation he has for us was set at a table for the disciples. We end our service with communion where he points us to say, your boundaries is coming together each week to celebrate and lift my name high to point towards the cross where I took on the sin of all humanity, where my body was broken and my blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins so that when we overstep our boundary, when we cross the line of someone else's country, when we say no or say yes instead of saying no, he says, I can cover that. I've, I've got that. Let's try this again in turn. And this is what communion is together. This is what we celebrate today. And so as you come, I pray that if there's things that you need to just get out and confess, would you do that before you come and celebrate communion? If you're here and you have followed Jesus, we welcome you. If you, your desire is to follow him and his teachings and you've recognized he's the son of God, this is a table for you. If you're here trying to figure things out, we would encourage you hang back for just um, a minute or two here and it's okay. This is for those who have followed Jesus to keep him lifted high and remember this is our first priority, amen? Would you stand with me? Jesus, as we come, we come with open hands, with faith in you that you set a great example for us to follow and we ask for forgiveness for where we've continued to fail. Lord, where we've put other people's opinions above yours, we're sorry where we've not set up boundaries and blown through time with you because we've given yes to everybody else and then we're frustrated at you because of it. Like, ah, forgive us. As we approach your table, we do so for refreshment, for redemption, for your glory. Would you come and receive communion?
today, may you take hope that as you give your nose, they're going to be difficult to, for other people to hear and difficult for you to say. But I take hope in the words of Jesus, and maybe this is a little bit weird, but he, he says to his disciples, since they persecuted me, naturally they're going to persecute you. If they'd listen to me, they'd listen to you too. He disappointed people by setting up boundaries so that he could love deeper and better. May you go with the courage today to follow him and set up good boundaries to honor Jesus and to love those around you. May you go with the blessing of Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May you be blessed. Have fun tonight.